Welcome to the Glasgow Girls Club podcast, where we chat to inspirational folks throughout the city about living their best lives and encourage our listeners to grow and glow. Hello and welcome to the first episode of our Keeping Up With Cosmedicare series, which is super exciting. I'm really buzzing about this. This is running as part of our Glow Live series in the main GGC community. And tonight I'm joined by a super inspirational Glasgow woman who's actually a real role model in business for me. That has to be said right off the top. Hello, pal. <laughs> uh, exactly, and a good trend. So, as with all of our Glow Lives ladies, so for anyone tuning in live or for anyone watching on the replay, the Glow Lives and our Keeping Up With Cosmedicare series is all about bringing you lovely law information and educations so that if you are interested in any or all of the topics that we're discussing, you feel like you've been given information, knowledge is power, and you can hopefully go on to make empowered choices. So as with everything we promote in the GGC, always make sure you do your own research, check out what your options are. And I also feel really strongly that I want you to feel confident about asking questions and asking questions you know, direct to me, which I can ask anything on a live, or asking questions on the lives itself because with this Keeping Up With Cosmedicare series we are hopefully providing you with quite a unique opportunity to directly talk to the leading consultants and surgeons in Scotland and also Jill um, and ask them absolutely anything. So before we get started and what is set to be an absolute stoter of a chat, I'm going to put that out there now <laughs> because this is a stoter of a story that we're all going to hear. I just want everyone to know that this chat has been recorded and it will feature on the GGC YouTube and podcast. So if you ask any questions live in the chat and we get to them because we've had a ton coming in from the community, then I won't mention anyone's names. So don't worry about that. And equally, Jill has also said any questions that you feel are confidential just ask his Medicare direct and I will share the the contact details at the end of this live as well so without further ado welcome Jill Baird MBA and Managing Director of Cosmedicare UK and Medicare Group oh thank you thanks very much for having me Laura and what an introduction you're so good at this oh no honestly I'm actually see the truth is that I'm sweating okay (laughs) we've been nervous (laughs) I don't usually get nervous with these sorts of um things I do them quite frequently now and um I love coming on the Glasgow Girls Club it's something that I've I've been involved with right since you started as you know I know you have um you know me so you know pretty much everything that we're going to talk about tonight um, but for everybody else, I think I should probably give a wee bit of a precursor that there might be some trigger material in here and there might be some um, colourful language and terminology used that you might not be used to, you might take a certain way. Please be reassured that I mean everything that I say comes from a place of goodness and when I'm talking about my, my own personal experiences, everybody that I'm talking about is happy with how I'm talking about it. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And, th- and we had a chat before we've come on live, Jill, to just say that this is going to be like a no holds barred. I mean, we are, most of the women in the community are Glasgow women. You know, we like to get the oh, truth. We like to hear the nitty gritty and you have got some story to tell. And I think it's important that you do because you've faced real challenges and adversity in life to get to the point where you are just now, which is a massively successful entrepreneur, a leading businesswoman in Scotland. And when you actually take it back to the beginning, which I know that you'll share, at 15, you were expelled from school. I was expelled and earlier than that, actually. That was like the third expulsion. Oh, the third. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to hear all about that. But yeah. you to go from that 
and then in 2016 to be the leader, the, the only female owned and operated cosmetic surgery brand in Scotland you launched yeah. to now, fast forward to now, in the midst of a global pandemic, you are building your very own fully funded multi-million pound state-of-the-art private healthcare facility. I mean, that's even hard for me to say. I know and it's honestly like when I when I talk about this I, I'm not an egotistical person I'm not like oh look at me what have I, look what I've done it's more I'm really of the opinion that people come to me all the time and go how do you do this and I, I tell the truth and I've been really fortunate along the years that people who've done amazing things before me have been really really open and honest with me and I've had access to them and they've shared their stories with me and motivated me and what I want to do is pass that on because yeah unfortunately most of the people that helped me were men I didn't really have very many women mm-hmm. in the positions that, that I wanted to be in going through the route that I aspired to go through so I think it's really important as a woman in particular to be honest about how I've done this and talking about work-life balance and and things you need to sacrifice because I think there's an awful lot of pressure on women in particular to do absolutely everything and be mom and be wife and be amazing in business and have your shit together and look amazing and have perfect hair and it's really quite unrealistic to do that yeah and you often look at other people and think oh my god she's got all this and she's got this perfect life and it's really not yeah I know and this is the social media this is part and parcel of this social media life that we live in and we're going to touch on that obviously in relation to the industry that you work in as well um but I think it's really important that we have this chat because we are going to be running monthly lives on various different subjects, but I really wanted to get you on, Jill, to tell your story so that we could set the scene for everyone because, you know, as I continually Mm -hmm. mention, it's quite the story and I think that it would be really great if we could kind of even take it right back to those expulsions at school to where you are today and just have a right good chat about it all. Yeah, so it's all got meaning, the things, it sounds as if I'm going way, way back, but <clears throat> there's different people that come to me about different things, um, so it's probably easier just to start at the beginning. Yes. Um, my mum had me when she was really young, which was a, a common thing, uh, East End of Glasgow, my mum had me when she was 17, um, and it was a choice and everything else, and I was really fortunate that my grandparents were very heavily involved in in my upbringing so I lived with my gran and my grandpa and they raised me um my grandpa was really entrepreneurial but my my grandmother was very much involved in that business as well mm-hmm. um I'm from a very strong female orientated family it was mostly women in my family um and the men were very much supportive of the women and cheering them on to be independent and pursue their goals and everything else and that was something that was really drummed into me really really young um you don't need a man, you need to stand on yeah. two feet and you can do anything you want to do. So I had big dreams right from the start. I was um, quite a rebellious kid. I was a bit of a handful. Um, <laughs> the first school that I went to, primary school, I lasted two weeks and they put me out. Um, they said that I had to go to another school. Um, oh, two yeah, weeks? Two weeks, two weeks. Uh, I, I had a problem with authority even then. <laughs> Um, so I started off in Gold Hill Primary School and then I went to Alexandra Parade and I was really fortunate there because the teachers really did try with me. Um, I was quite academic but had a problem with authority and having things my own way and I was very black and white and everything had to be perfect, um, which can be quite difficult because when you're at school you've got to go on with lots of different types of people and yep. kind of struggled a wee bit with that. Um, so when I was in primary five, 
um, they were doing these things called assisted places. It was Tory government way back in the day, manufacturer era, mm -hmm. and um, you would do your national testing things, and then they'd pick this the ones that they seemed smart or whatever, and try and fog them off to private schools. It was part of the private schools doing good with people. Um, so I got a, an assisted place at a private school, which was an all girls private school called Park. Um, park school for girls <clears throat> so off I get shipped to park school for girls um, and to be fair it was lovely there and the people there were really really nice and really accepting I still lived in Deniston at that point um, but most of those girls were from very affluent areas and they had nice mummy and daddy and daddy was a lawyer and and I'm like, I live with my granny and my grandpa and we've got all this stuff going on and it was just, it was a bit mental. Okay. Um, Everything was going fine until two of the two schools joined together, Park and Laurel Bank. <clears throat> and when I say it was like a meeting of mean girls, that would be an understatement. Oh no, right, okay. Uh -huh. Me being quite competitive, I was in the hockey team, I was in the swimming team, I was the best at this, the best at that. And the things that I wasn't the best at, I was very competitive at. So it was, <laughs> that's just how it was. Um, the two schools joined together and there was quite a lot of bullying going on at that point. Mm. Um, and I wasn't up for much of that. Then the two hockey teams joined together and me and one of the other girls had a whole set too in front of all the parents uh, and the hockey pitches with the hockey sticks. As you do, as you do, <laughs> right, okay. And that was expulsion number two. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> so um, then I went to Lindsay Academy <clears throat> and I was there for a wee while. No, I, I, went, from, I went from there to Whitehill Secondary School and because I came from an all-girls school, a boy that I'd originally went to um, primary school with, a boy called Andrew Hodge, who I'm probably with now, um, he called me a lesbian, so I punched him. <laughs> I got expelled for the expelled. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? There's fights in this school every day. Why am I getting expelled? <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, we can't, we can't cope with your daughter, Mrs. Baird. You're going to need to take her. <laughs> um... And then I went to Lindsay and that just wasn't working and I was about to get expelled again. Um, and my grandmother agreed with the, the headmistress, well, I'll just, we'll take her, mm -hmm. just don't expel her. She can't have another expulsion on this record or nobody's ever going to employ her. And by that point I knew I was never going to work for anybody. Yeah. Like, I was, that was just not going to happen for me. You were um, going to be your own boss. I was going to do my own thing. So my grand, um, she was very straight talking with me. She says, right, you've got three months to figure out what you're doing and then you're going to college, you're, you're doing something. Okay. So family business came up, um, Bodery's, which was tanning salons. Um, and right from the get-go with Bodery's, it was all-consuming. Um, it was a, a labour of love with the whole family. And one of the reasons we, we started Bodery's is I've got a skin condition, so I've got eczema. Okay. And back in the day, that's what everybody done. So everybody was blonde barbie by this point you'd go to the sunbeds three times a week and lie on it for 20 minutes and have the baby oil on or worse at some points lard we're baking <laughs> ourselves in lard well this is the thing because we never knew no we had no idea like Absolutely. oh no idea of course um and that's something worth remembering mm -hmm. in context now the things that we used to do not knowing what the effects are to where we're at now and the things that we're doing and to try and remember what the possible consequences are further down the line, things that we maybe don't know about just now. Absolutely. Um, but I, we had bodies, um, and then by that point I was 16. Um, my grandpa had just passed away and I'd went a wee bit wild again. 
and ran away with a local drug dealer, as you do. Oh, yeah. well, right, okay. Yeah. Um, so the family weren't best pleased with that, but they put up with it for a wee while until things got pretty bad. And me being me, didn't want to listen to anybody that was telling me things for my best interest. Um, so I ended up falling out with my family completely and we didn't speak for a good three years. Um, so, And that's hard because they were such an influence on you and you, you had such a close relationship, especially with your gran. Definitely. I mean, that was probably the hardest point in my life, not speaking to my gran for, yeah. for those years. Um, I wanted a kid. I wanted to prove that I was going to be with this guy forever and he was the best thing since sliced bread. And everybody knew he was battering lumps at me and kicking me off the house. And the two of us were almost ready for killing each other on a daily basis. But I didn't want to admit that because that meant I was wrong. So I just put up with so much shit um, and kind of kept going with that and made out, no, I'm strong, I'm independent, I give as good as I get and all the rest of it. But in all honesty, that wasn't really what was happening until I had my kid um, and I thought, I can't bring a kid up in this environment. It's very different when you're on your own in that situation and you think you can tolerate it and it's just a, a passionate relationship, yes. <laughs> as I used to call it. Um, but when you bring a baby into that situation and the behaviour doesn't change, you kind of, so you have to put somebody else before yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what I had to do. So it came to my head one night where something pretty terrible happened and I took the baby and left with absolutely nothing. Oh, and what age were you at this point, Jill? It was just before my 21st birthday. So, so, um, so young. Yeah, the baby wasn't even two. The baby so. wasn't even two and you've lived this life separate from your family and really what sounds like a really abusive relationship. Yeah, it was pretty bad. It was it was pretty bad. Um, but I say everything happens for a reason and ironically, some of the scars physical and mental scars that came from that relationship kind of led me into the industry that I'm in just now about how you can deal with certain injuries and what you can do to kind of make them better and laser resurfacing and different things like that so it's quite interesting that it's kind of came full circle and I, I kind of help people well not just me the whole team to be honest um we're really passionate about helping people in difficult situations can I take away the the psychological scars really that are left from physical scars um so we're all really passionate about that oh, I can imagine and and what in your industry as well you really help build up people's self-esteem and, and and confidence so I can imagine on leaving that relationship your self-esteem was really low it was I mean um I've got blonde hair when I met him I had bright blonde hair um, I was really into like how I looked and the tan and everything else but you know when you get into a relationship like that and they start accusing you of, it doesn't matter how loyal you are and how faithful you are and everything you try and do to prove that you love that person, they make it look as if you're doing things to get attention. So at one point I had red hair and walked about my head down and wouldn't even look at anybody. It was it was ridiculous. It was so controlling. Um, but you, people say things to you, they're able to frame things in such a way that you think, oh, he really loves me and that's why he doesn't want anybody to look at me and things. And it's a really unhealthy place to to be at and you, you don't realize this until you get older and you learn and you're able to look back and see what everybody else seen because so many people were telling me yeah. you need to get out of this yeah um, and you don't listen no you need, you need to want it yourself and do it yourself don't you it needs to be your choice Definitely. so you left that relationship I can only imagine was your granny waiting with open arms well I didn't think she would be I mm -hmm. thought oh god 
I'm going to get the I told you so and I'm not helping with this kid and she, she was the complete opposite and so was my mum actually um, and the men in my family which it had caused a lot of a lot of bother for the men in my family because they were all fighting and it's East End of Glasgow you know what it's like yeah so I thought oh good god they're not gonna they're not gonna be welcoming me back with open arms so I was not really keen on going back there I was staying in a really shitty place um stubborn no wanting to go back and then um I eventually swallowed my pride and phoned my granny and she did she literally welcomed us back with open arms both me and the baby mm-hmm. um and I don't think even then I could have foreseen how much involvement she was going to have in, in raising my kid so <laughs> oh, lovely and you've you've got such a lovely tribute to her which we will, we will get on to or something that you're obviously I'd mentioned it something that you're building right now so tell us what happened next then so what happened after that was I had to really rebuild myself because you anybody that's been in an abusive relationship especially if they a kid to that person you don't just leave so there was a whole court case and there was custody issues and there was visitations and there was a whole load of living in places and trying to make sure they didn't find out and all that sort of stuff so we went through all of that um, and I was doing different temping jobs. Um, I was actually working in Berlin prison at one point because I thought that might be the safest place to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I your logic though, but bless you. Whilst we were going through the court case, I was working in Berlin prison and the prisoner escort monitors who are the guards that take the guys backwards and forwards to the jail, they were in the court whilst I was doing the um, custody stuff, the visitation stuff. And he was trying to batter me in the court. <laughs> Oh, in the corridors <laughs> and they were all like this is just ridiculous so it, it was it was absolutely crazy what was going on at that point and I was I was te- I was terrified I was I was yeah. scared so constantly trying to kind of live life under the radar and build a new life for myself and get a job and he would find out where I worked and turn up and just start a whole load of carry on so we went through that for um probably about three years and then I went to work for uh, a company up in Charing Cross and the opportunity came up to work between Glasgow and England and jumping backwards and forwards between the two at this point um the kid was a wee bit older and we will get to why I keep referring to the kids yes absolutely why is she just why is she talking about a kid like this Um, so kid was at nursery um and my gran says you know what go for it like you've had a kid with this arsehole it doesn't mean you're in for a life sentence so let's just we'll do you do what you need to do you need a second chance I will help you with the baby and my auntie, who I lived with at that time as well. I was kind of living with my grand and my auntie by that point. Um, they raised the kid and let me pursue the work. Um, so, so that was great. Um, and then the child started school. And when I say I thought I was a handful when I was at school, <laughs> by God, this kid gave me a run for my money. Like mm. expulsion every year, every single year. <laughs> <laughs> so your granny and your mum are like right okay so now you know yeah and um then obviously they start uh, it's a new era now so mm-hmm. they talk about Asperger's and autism and everything else but we'd never heard of well I'd never heard of Asperger's and yeah. autism and everything else so when this teacher in the nursery was saying I think your child has autism I'm going, you cheeky bitch. What do you think? How, how dared you? I mean, he can read the alphabet backwards. That should have been that should have been a sign. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, okay. I didn't I didn't want to take that. Um, so she was wrong and I was right, and she didn't know what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. That was the kind of attitude I had when I was younger, which is not a good attitude to have. I know that now. 
Um, but that was how I dealt with things at the time. Yeah. So um, off we went to, to school and very quickly realised there's something not quite right here. Ran away from school every single day, like right out the school. There was yeah. police hunts for this kid. <laughs> and that's quite a worry. I know. I know. So it was it, it was difficult to hold down a job and yeah. do that at the same time. And that's when I really realised I was going to go back to self-employment because this wasn't going to work. So I went back to doing contractual stuff and it tended to be in public sector work. So stuff with the NHS, was in Sandyford for a wee while. Um, and then I decided I was going to go to university. So uh, I managed to get an application for university. And by that point, I think I was 25. And uh, that's when my past started coming back to haunt me because they said, oh, well, you don't have any qualifications. Mm. And I'm like, I'm smarter than these 18 year olds that are coming in here. What do you mean? I can't, I can't go to university. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but you can do this access course. Mm-hmm. And by that point, I was running about all over the place, contracting here, there and everywhere. Um, they said, oh, you need to go to this uh, access course for, I think it was like 26 weeks on a Tuesday night. I think, how the hell am I going to fit this in? But mm-hmm. we did it. Um, and I, I got an unconditional offer in any part of the Strathclyde Business School that I wanted to go to. Amazing. And even when I'd started the application for uni, I wanted to go to the Hunter Centre for Entrepreneurship. Yeah. I was a massive, massive fan of what was called the, um, well, what I called the entrepreneur, Entrepreneurial Boys Club, or the Millionaires Boys Club, um, which okay. was the change in Glasgow. Um, and that was your Tom Hunters, your David Molesdales, Chan Gill, um, Jim McCall, like okay. big, big high flyers. And I wanted to, I wanted to be in that club. I wanted to be in the room listening to how they've done things and what lessons they've learned and how do you get the money to build a business like that? Yeah. And I wasn't getting anywhere near that. That was just not happening. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> no, that, that just wasn't happening. So I remember um, going for the interview at the Hunter Centre for entrepreneurship and it was a, it was a woman professor. Her name was Sarah Carter and uh, she started asking me what I wanted to do and, and I said I wanted to be in healthcare and I wanted to build something that was going to be a wee bit different but at that point I didn't know what it was I didn't know really what I wanted to do I knew I wanted to be in the service sector and I knew I wanted to help different groups mm-hmm. and at that point it was victims of domestic abuse that was the kind of thing that I, that I wanted to do um, with lasers and, and different things like that and um, she was like all right okay um, and they didn't really think there was a business in that in all honesty way back then Okay. But they, they gave me the condition the unconditional offer and I, I started and I remember the first day going to Strathclyde Uni. I was, all, I was already in like my business suit and all that going to Strathclyde Uni and I got there and there's all these wee 18 year olds in jeans and jumpers. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I look like somebody's mother. <laughs> they're all suited and booty, oh, like I'm ready. I know, and they're oh, they were all so young. They were all so young. And I thought, oh God, no, I'm in the wrong place. And I, I nearly left. And I found myself in this thing. They do this um, management development program in the business school. And um, I thought, right, I'll get a month. I'll get a month and see how this goes. And um, I ended up, the, the girl that was running my part in the management development program was a girl called Julie McFarlane, who's in your group. Okay. She's an East End girl herself. And I remember saying to her, oh, this isn't for me. Like... This is a bunch of wains. I came here thinking I was coming into all these business people that knew what they were talking about. 
and she's like no no <laughs> but stay stay and we'll try and make it work and I remember trying to write the first assignment and no knowing what referencing was and crying and just feeling like an absolute idiot like going oh my good god and I, I think I failed I failed the first one and uh, I wasn't happy and I'm like who are you to mark me what do you, what do you mean I failed I, I know what I'm talking about I've done this I've built a business you're like I do not accept this mark well you better accept it because that's the one you're getting <laughs> see in all fairness I have to say see referencing at uni that was an absolute pain tits, wasn't it I'd, I'd never written an essay in my life yeah it's honestly I found that so hard I think everybody must fail their first essay at uni because nobody's got a scooby-doo definitely definitely and then you have to do a mock business plan and I'm like business plans only worth the paper they're written on they never bloody go to plan anyway <laughs> it's, it's made up stuff you may as well just go like that and Julie's like write the bloody business plan just do what you're told <laughs> so you're making waves in the business school <laughs> and um she pretty much took Julie pretty much took me under her wing for that four years and so did the, the Hunter Centre, the, the marketing department, economics, finance, accounting. They kind of dragged me through everything. And I think they, they realised, and whilst all this was happening, the kid was getting older and getting chucked out of school and we were at child psychologists and the Asperger's diagnosis came. And um, it was at one point one of the um, more well-travelled um, lecturers who I was quite pally with said, um, Jill, do you not realise um, there's quite a few similarities between you and your kid? I'm like, what are you saying here? No, no one. A wee bit of a problem with authority and no one to do things with the rule book and thinking outside the box. And he really helped me start seeing my kids' issues in a positive light because okay. at that point I really was not seeing this as a positive. I was seeing this as why can he not go to school and just do what he's told and let yeah. me go on with what I'm doing? Every other parent can go to the school gates and stand there and not have an absolute shown up with the teacher frog marching their kid out at the end of the school day. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> we'd go to sports day and the, the people would walk in going, that's that kid's mum. Oh no, you're <laughs> like, oh. I am. <laughs> do you want to speak to me? <laughs> oh no. And then ironically, he ended up at a private school and a scholarship as well, because I thought, right, small wee intimate setting, it'll be fine. No, he gets yeah. better there as well. <laughs> oh, honestly. But do you know what? Like you yourself, you've got the experience of it. And you, so what happened next? So I think I kind of realised that with him, it wasn't going to go quite plain sailing and I had to kind of let up. And I, as I said, that lecture, I had kind of, started trying to show me the positives and being different mm-hmm. and um I started realizing that I had to try and support him as well as supporting myself to look at things a different way and build a different type of skill set for the future for for him um but also for myself as well because I knew I was going to have to be self-employed because the, the whole childcare situation wasn't going to last forever yeah um and I needed to to be able to support myself so I, I was self-employed all the way through university okay um Got to the end of the degree, the degree, got a double first class honours degree. Um, double first class, that is double like double first class. Went went to the um the graduation ceremony and my kid caused holy hell in the middle of the graduation ceremony. We had, we had to leave. 
<laughs> you're like come on like come on come on who was my absolute idol at the yeah. time the week before graduation came to give a seminar in Strathclyde Business School and um he'd been Connor had been flung out of school again and I was like I'm not missing this so half past nine in the morning I'm jumping in a bus to go and get him to school and bring him back to Strathclyde because Sarah Carter was like look just go and get him and bring him here so by this point he was about nine no he interrupted the middle of the seminar with 400 people in the room to contradict Tom Hunter Wow, and what was Tom Hunter's reaction? He thought it was absolutely hilarious. There was all these people in this auditorium that wouldn't have put their hand up to ask a question, and then you've got this wee blonde-headed village of the damned looking kids going, hey, excuse me, no, that's not right. <laughs> and who was right? Connor. Oh my god, there you go. And and Tom Hunter did kind of relent and go, actually, uh, he's right. <laughs> Oh, that's so. He's he's a pure. He's a such a role model. Him, isn't he? I was mortified. Um, absolutely mortified. But it was funny. It was really funny, and um, it definitely put me at the top of their memories. Oh, I bet it did. Actually, (laughs) oh, it did. Don't forget me in a hurry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, at the end of that that degree, I I'd met some really good pals at uni from different walks of life than my usual friends were from, and kind of all my to how different people live and different opportunities and one of the girls that I had been at university with her dad had got involved with a, a clinic in Glasgow he'd set it up the business partner wasn't doing too well them two were having conflicts and everything and um, she approached me and says we come see my dad my dad wants you to take over this clinic 50-50 split um, he's paid for everything you just need to come in and run it and make it hunky dory I'm like this seems too good to be true. Seems very good, yep. Well, that's lesson number one. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Oh, what happened? Well, off I went into this gorgeous big clinic up in Royal Crescent. Um, stunning townhouse, over three floors. Um, managed to turn it around pretty damn quick, I might say. They had a, they had a decent team. Mm-hmm. Um, I started approaching surgeons, got them on board sorted the market now, sorted their policies and everything. Um, because I'd been I'd worked in Sandyford for quite some time before then. So I knew all the, the governance and all that sort of stuff. Um and turned it around and it started becoming very profitable very quickly. So Billy, who was the guy, um said, well, we should solidify this and do a 50-50 partnership and blah blah blah. Um, and up came this contract. And when you're when you're taking over a lease of a building of that size, mm-hmm. you sometimes need to sign what's called a personal guarantee oh no right okay so I signed a joint and several which means both me and him personal guarantee on a three four four grand a floor townhouse Charing Cross rocket Billy um who was a con man (laughs) so so he told me he was a chartered accountant he was a struck off chartered accountant (laughs) and whilst we were absolutely coining it in he was siphoning off all the money for his sausage factory genuinely a sausage factory <laughs> a sausage factory <laughs> so he had a passion for sausages then <laughs> I, I had a meat factory um <laughs> he was not paying the bills on either oh no so the landlord's chatting the door um really nice guy who i still speak to at this time um but now this is god a good 12 years later i think we must be now um and he's going jill 
you are doing really well. Why is my rent not getting paid? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, Billy's, Billy's sorting it all. Lesson number two, always have access to the bank account. <laughs> okay, so we're getting a few. I hope everyone's getting notes, ladies. <laughs> always hold the purse strings, always have access to bank accounts. Um, get a lawyer to check over legal documents mm-hmm. um, because I ended up losing that business through no fault of my own other than my own naivety and stupidity and could have potentially have ended up bankrupt. So I was very fortunate not to end up bankrupt. But the stress of that, plus the wee one at the private school getting chucked out and everything else, my skin went crazy again, to the point where I was in hospital for weeks on end, on on drips, steroid drips, trying to get the skin under control um, in private rooms in the hospital on a laptop, typing away, trying to figure out how I was going to stop myself being bankrupted. It was crazy. It so was it's just like this cycle of stress, which was just showing itself on your yeah. skin and yeah. you're actually in hospital with your laptop. What, yeah. what did you do? I mean, how, how, does, how do you deal with that? Well, it was crazy because um, SkinFX, which was the business, there was consultant dermatologists and everything in there and they all worked in the hospital that I ended up in mm-hmm. and they were coming around and trying to physically take the laptop off me and yeah. say, look, this is what's causing this for you. This is stress. Mm-hmm. and my answer to getting rid of stress was to fix the problem yeah but that's not really how you get rid of stress as anybody that knows stress will will know for themselves like you need to kind of take a step back and look at what's causing it and deal with it from the root yeah the diet was terrible um it still is I didn't exercise my whole life was work everything was work 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 constantly um and my gran actually said to me I think you need to get a break away from Glasgow like I think you need away from here you need to take a big break and just cut it and I went right okay that's fine um actually a competitor I went to work for a competitor clinic for a short period of time who okay. won't um and I kind of looked at what he was doing and I'm like I can do what he's doing I can do it better than him mm-hmm. so anybody that knows me will know what clinic I'm talking about but um I thought right, that's what I'm going to do but I wanted an MBA first. I thought, I've went through all this at this university. I should not have been this stupid to get myself into this situation. What's the point of having a business degree when I knew absolutely nothing and within a year of leaving the place, nearly completely screwed myself for the rest of my life in a bankruptcy, or how I thought at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I went back to Strathclyde Uni and went to see um, the head of the business school. was a man called George Burt. And he agreed with me. He's like, I think you need an MBA. I think you're ready for it. <clears throat> um, I says, right, okay, how do I do this? And he's like, well, it's 25 grand. And I thought, <laughs> oh, um, I might be bankrupt. <laughs> I know, month. you're like, I don't I think you've really heard my story. <laughs> I have 25 grand. Um, and he's like, well, let me see what I can do about it. So he came back to me and he's like, well, look, there's some scholarships and everything else. So I applied for the scholarships and um, I was offered them. And right as I was offered the scholarship, George Burke, who was head of the business school, said he was leaving. I'm like, where are you going? You're like, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm coming here because I want you to teach me how not to fuck up like this again. <laughs> where are you going? And he, he said, oh, I've taken uh, a head of kind of business school role at Stirling University. I want to build a different type of degree. I want a holistic degree that focuses on the whole person. Mm-hmm. But bear in mind, Strathclyde is the highest ranking business school in Scotland it's one of the top three in Europe it is the pinnacle of success in the business world an MBA from there people travel internationally to get one 
never knew going. that. That's amazing. Oh, it's, it's triple accredited. It's like gold standard, best of the best. Mm-hmm. And um, George is going to Stirling University. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> and he came to me and he's like, why don't you apply for a scholarship at Stirling? And why don't you go up and stay there for the year whilst you're doing it and just get away from here, cut ties with everybody, start again. And my gran says, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. So I applied for it. They got they honoured the same fully funded scholarship that I was being offered at Strathclyde. And that was the first ever fully funded scholarship that has ever been given in the UK. There has never been a fully funded scholarship um, for an MBA. And unfortunately, there hasn't been one since, which is okay. something I'm going to fix. Oh, yes. St. Ellen's opened. So, <laughs> um, but no, so I got that um, and packed a bag four months later and went to a tiny, tiny wee cottage up in Dunblane. Oh, nice. And done a year on an MBA that I thought was going to be nice and calm and I was going to learn how to recognise myself and all this. No, it was a year of hell. Oh, no. <laughs> it was a year of hell. Um, we kids still running amok in school and me trying to deal with cultural barriers and language barriers with international students in Stirling University and um, the whole reflective learning stuff that they want you to do, which obviously I'd just been through a pretty shitty time mm-hmm. with skinny effects. Um, and they were, if anybody ever gets a chance to do reflective learning, you should definitely do it. It's a, it's a painful process. Um, it really makes you look at yourself, warts and alls and flaws and right. all the different things. And uh, you learn so much from it, not so much at the time. Yeah. Afterwards. Because so I remember. Reflective learning is that like just looking at something you've done or. Right. So it's looking at something you've done and how you react to things and how you communicate with people and how you go about doing certain things and how that can be perceived by other people and how that might be impacting negatively on your ability to succeed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And for somebody that thinks they know it all, um that's not good <laughs> you're like this can't be right this can't oh, be right <laughs> I had another one I'm like what, what, what is that mark <laughs> I'm not here for you to judge me and they're like well actually you are <laughs> again okay. the, whole, the whole Julie McFarlane situation all over again <laughs> oh, I remember getting hauled into George's office and he's like right you need to behave and you need to just do what you're told <laughs> because you're embarrassing me <laughs> You're like, come off it, George. <laughs> we go way back. Aye. But um, no, it was brilliant. And I learned so much there. I learned scenario planning, which is, again, something that I think is the best thing for anybody in business. Mm-hmm. Um, scenario planning actually helped me so much during COVID. Okay. Um, this is a tool where you can look at foreseeing the unforeseeable, really, mm-hmm. and how you're going to respond to that and how you're going to place yourself in the best position, not only to navigate through it, but to come out successfully on the other end. Um, which comes in very handy when you've signed up to over a million pound in a building right before a COVID pandemic starts. Yeah, I could imagine that that uh, really... Yep. <laughs> I remember being on the phone to George going, George, see that scenario planning session? Can we do it now? <laughs> oh, he must relish the calls from you. Oh, that's it, 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 phone rings and it's my name. He goes, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> what is she up to now? done now I know um but no it's I think it's it's one of the the key things that I've learned that the people that you come across 
people come into your life for loads of different reasons, whether it's yeah. to teach you something or for you to learn something about yourself or to learn something from them, but seeing things slightly differently, everything really does happen for a reason. Even the shittiest situations when you think, oh my good God, this is the end of me, turns around in time and it ends up being something you go, do you know what, I'm actually really glad that happened because if that hadn't happened, all the other things after it wouldn't have happened to yeah. leave where I am now. You almost make it your superpower, don't you? Like if you've gone through such hardship and then when you turn it around and you have done that, you have done that a good few times. So how, so MBA got amazing. Imagine having those letters after your name, so good. What was the, then the journey from that point? Yes. So, so halfway through the MBA, you need to pick um, a subject you go do your dissertation on. So remember that? Billionaires Boys Club that I spoke to you about. Yes. So I'm like, right, I want to interview that lot. I want to interview them about how they deal with fuck-ups, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me how great you are. Tell me how you've overcome all the messy yeah. stuff. Um, and by that point, I was really friendly with um, one of the guest speakers that had come to Strathclyde Uni. He's one of my mentors. Um, and he's like, right, me and George will help you kind of set up meetings with these different people. And then he says, right, who do you want to interview? So I rhymed off my, my wish list and I got it. So oh, you don't ask, you don't get though, eh? So who was it? Don't get any sweeties. No. I'm like, <laughs> I, want, I want an hour long meeting with Jim McCall. The Jim McCall lives between Glasgow and Monaco. Like he jumps oh, between the two. Nice. Getting an appointment with Jim McCall is like absolute gold dust. Yeah. And my last interview was with Jim McCall. And the day I went to interview Jim McCall, my pal died that morning. So my pal had had um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. She was one of the ladies, she was actually the lady that when Connor was at school and kept getting kicked out of school. Angela had three kids um, and she lived close to my gran. And she was like, you go and do this. And when the school phone, tell them to phone me and I'll go and get them and take them to your granny. And it means that you can go to work. How amazing is that? Just an absolute angel of yeah. a woman. Like the two Angelas in my life, well, the three Angelas in my life are absolute angels. My auntie, who raises my kids. Yeah. Um, my best pal, Angela Boyd, who's like the nicest woman you could ever meet. I don't know why she's my pal, because like she's just an absolute saint. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I know. Well, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And young then, and yang. I know. Young and yang, exactly. She's the wee lady <laughs> the floor that's got a conscience. <laughs> That. <laughs> um, and then there was Angela McElroy who was just an absolute angel for me the two of them were, were just amazing um, so I remember sitting in the car outside Jim McCall's empire of a building um, going shit you need to pull yourself together and get in here and do not cry and you better get the answers for, for this dissertation that you need because I was going in interviews with all my questions and my dictaphone and interviewing them and I was completely forgetting interview questions and going off and starting asking them questions about their life and how to do this and how to do that and I got so much information but none of it was relevant to the questions that I was supposed to be writing this 30,000 dissertation on I thought oh bugger what am I going to do so he's into the room and um his office is absolutely stunning by the way like I've got a, a dream to have an office like him it's just right, okay and um he's like right um I've only got an hour, so would you want to know? Oh, <laughs> no, it's right away. You're a bit like... Aye, it was like, boom, right yeah. in. I'm like, all right, okay. Um, all right, uh, I want to ask this question, and I want to ask that question. And he's looking at me, and I'm going, 
shit, and it dawned on me, and I don't know what happened. It's, it just something just happened, and I went, you know what? You've got one shot at this. Put the pen and back paper down, and just ask them. Yeah, you want to ask them. Mm-hmm. Stuff the dissertation, stuff the thirty thousand words. It literally does doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So I said to him, I was like, right. I keep getting myself into situations and I don't know how to manage these people to get them to do what I want them to do. I want things done my way, but obviously the way I'm saying things is upsetting people and I'm not getting them on board and I need these high-flying people to be on board and agree to do things my way, which isn't the normal way. What do I need to do? And I went, all right, I okay, I can help you with that. And he goes into this other part of his office and pulls out these three boards mm-hmm. and it's these scenario boards, the similar to the scenario planning that George Burke had been grilling into my head about how to do this scenario planning and um, he just went through everything and I said to him I was like how did you how did you get here and he's like you do things differently you don't do what everybody else is doing if you can look at something and see there is something wrong with that process you know how to fix it you just need to find a way to communicate that to other people and get them on board and the best way to do that is to show them how it works for them and what the benefit is for them if it's all about you they're not interested mm-hmm. it needs to be about them mm-hmm. so you need to be bringing something to the table that they want to sit down at I'm like all right okay um and then at the end of it is like so you don't get business to pitch to me I said no no, I was like, you know, Santa Claus. What do you want me, what do you want me to say? <laughs> uh, anyway, you'll be back. And I thought, oh my God, right, okay. So I've made it to the end of this. Yeah. This St. Ellen's thing. And it's self-funded because the banks wouldn't lend me any money. Nobody has ever lent me any money. I've never had a bank loan that just... I don't know. I don't know probably if my face doesn't fit, my voice doesn't fit. It's, it's, it's unfair, but it's probably a good thing. Probably because when the bank lends you money, they want to tell you what to do with it, which is yeah. kind of pointless. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I'm going to invite Jim to open the hospital, to come to see the opening of the hospital. And I'm actually super proud that I've never had to ask anybody for any money to help build this bloody hospital. So, I mean, it's like, uh, wow, though. <laughs> I know. It's been, it's been a bit, it's, it's been crazy because when I signed for that building, and honestly, and I've got absolutely no shame in admitting this, I had nowhere near the money required to do that project. Yeah. And my mentors and the people who've been here before me and done things like this before me kept saying to me, the money will come, the money will come. Do the right thing, you'll not go far wrong. And that's been the same thing that's been drilled into me for I was young. Do the right thing, you'll not go far wrong. Just keep doing what you know is right Mm -hmm. and it'll sort itself out. And it does. It really does. So... Like it, I like you're it. stuck and you don't know what to do and there's a right way and a wrong way mm-hmm. and you think the wrong way might be worth doing to get you to where you want to do don't do that because karma is an absolute bitch and it'll come back and bite you in the backside go the long road and do the right thing yeah brilliant brilliant another lesson that's amazing right okay so you've got your mba you've you've interviewed the billionaires boys club it sounds like you're actually you know some of them really well now which is Hi. I'm really fortunate. I mean, David Mosley, who owns Optical Express, um, he he's a good friend of a few me and a few of my friends, and he's always really good at mentoring and saying, right, okay, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? He's owned a hospital before down in England, and he was really helpful in saying, right, these are the things you need to think about. I remember when I said to him what the budget was for St. Ellen's, and he laughed and he went, double it and add some. Oh. And I'm like, oh, don't be daft. It can't be that. Can't can't possibly be that. Mm-hmm. He was. Bang on. Bang on, today. <laughs> Bang on. 
<laughs> all the global pandemic and the rise and every single cost you could probably imagine to deal with it as well, I'm sure. So, but right, okay, tell us first, right, so St. Ellen's we're going to come to because it's just, yeah. tell so us when, about Cosmedicare. How so did whilst, whilst I was finishing that dissertation, I got a phone call from a woman called Chrissy Allen. So okay. Chrissy Allen was um, manager of a hospital called the Edinburgh Clinic through in Edinburgh. Okay. She phoned me up, um, actually not long after that interview with, with Jim McCall, and said, um, I've heard a lot about you, I was given your name, I don't know who gave her my name still to this day, I don't know who gave her it, um, I want you to come meet me, I need you to run this hospital for me for a couple of months. Like, oh right, okay, so I scuttled away back to George, I'm like, George, I really want to do this, but I need to finish this dissertation, and they went, say aye. He says, you clearly want to say yes to it. So say yes to it and we'll make it work. So all the classes for the MBA had finished and you were into your last three months stretch of writing the actual dissertation. And he says, right, he says, stay in Dunblane and go and run this hospital in Edinburgh. I went, right, okay, that's what I'll do. Mm -hmm. So pitched up for the interview with Chrissy. Uh, she didn't let on to me at this point that she was ill. She looked amazing. This woman proper had it together like she used to say give them teeth and tits and like smile and just get them all on board and work your magic and make them do what you want them to do that was that was Chrissy's motto and everybody absolutely loved this woman she was classy she was sassy she was so smart she was just amazing absolutely amazing um and she sat me down and she says I need you to run this hospital um just for a couple of months and I'll be here to help you um I've just got a couple of things I need to deal with I said right okay fine I says I'm finishing my MBA and everything else she's like I've done an MBA you're absolutely fine just write the dissertation at night <laughs> you're like okay <laughs> I went right okay so this was Wednesday I says right okay when do you want me to start like next month and she went no Monday wow right okay I went right okay that's fine so I was into work on the Monday and loved it immediately absolutely loved it so the Edinburgh Clinic was a day case hospital facility it had one operating theatre it had a long-standing team they all kind of knew what they were doing but they had relied heavily on NHS contracts and then there had been a change of NHS policy and all of that had been pulled mm -hmm. and they had no self-pay market so private paying patients that would come and pay for themselves they had zero so she needed somebody to come in and build from there up yeah and that's what I was supposed to be there to do by the end of the second week I kind of noticed that Chrissy wasn't as shiny and glossy as she had been in full of energy than when she'd hired me and obviously when you get into a new place people are whispering and they're telling you mm -hmm. and they're like Chrissy's no well and I'm oh, like no, okay. okay um so the following week after that she phoned me she says come and see me at my house and I went to see her at her house and she was ill absolutely ill the shiny bubbly Chrissy that I'd seen a couple of weeks before was in her house with her head wrapped because it had been a wig, because she'd lost all her hair, because she had a brain tumour. And this woman was still going to work. Like, when I say that hospital was her baby, yeah, it was her baby. Like, and she had a family, she had a husband and she had kids, but she was just so, so passionate about the Edinburgh Clinic. It was her baby, she'd built it right from nothing. And she was doing, regardless of how ill she was, she was doing whatever it took to keep that place standing. Yep. Um, and she basically had said, I'm passing this over to you, till I get better and I will I'll keep helping you I'll be back but you need to keep the place standing till I get back the head office down in England was basically saying you need to make so many people redundant so I had to sack half the workforce so I was they hated me they absolutely hated me oh, yeah. oh my god I'm the big bad Ouija and on top of being the person going in and taking jobs away 
and changing how they do things and changing the processes and telling some people they weren't getting doing what they'd always done because it wasn't financially viable to keep doing that. And you're talking about medical consultants who yeah. have never been challenged before, who have never been told, no, this business is generating you a patient. You're not taking that patient down the road to operate on them somewhere else. Yeah. That was not going down too well. So I was not liked at that point. I can only imagine, like you say, we uh-huh. do going into an Edinburgh clinic. We all do. We do things very differently, and and you're having to make redundancies. You're having to make your mark. I can only imagine. In the staff room, there was a picture of my face on it on the dartboard. You're joking. You're like that, right? Cheers. They all want to come work with me now, which is great because I've took half their team. They're all working with me, working at Cosmetic here now. And there's the karma for you. <laughs> I know, I know. But um, but no, I made some amazing, amazing friends there. Um, and I thought, do you know what? If you're not going to do it my way, I'm going to start my own place. And like the Edinburgh Clinic had no plastics department. They had, they had amazing plastic surgeons. When I say amazing, like these guys were top of their game. Yeah. And I'm looking at them going you guys are perfect no one like are you great at your job these are really nice people and like I can I can make something of this like I can build something around this so I went to Aspen who were the company that owned the Edinburgh clinic and said oh I want to start a cosmetic surgery brand um they weren't interested they were interested in eyes and orthopedics Mm -hmm. I said well okay well I'll manage your eyes and your orthopedics as part of being the the manager and stuff but you mind if I do my own thing yeah yeah that's fine um write an SLA which is a service level agreement um and you can hire theatre space I went all right okay so Cosmedicare was actually born of £5,000 investment into a website that took five days to build and that website's never changed oh my goodness (laughs) I've not looked at that website in five years. <laughs> the website's not been looked at in five years. It's getting redone now. And when I actually sat down to read it the other week, I went, what a load of rubbish. <laughs> the websites, let's face it. I mean, it's such a, it's a, any business owner knows a website is a hard slog. So I can appreciate why you've just been oh. like, all right, we'll focus on this. <laughs> my grammar is absolutely terrible. I can't believe I wrote that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, no, that website was built in a week. And, yeah. I mean, and, the, and the brand was started on five grand. The brand, the brand was started on five grand. Um, actually, I partnered with a nurse in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And I'll be careful what I say here, right? Because I don't, I don't want to upset that particular nurse because she was lovely. Um, I gave her 50% of the business for nothing. <laughs> oh, as you do at the beginning. I know, I know. Like, in it together. <laughs> oh, in it together, sisters. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she didn't want to come through to Edinburgh to inject because it was too far away. And that way it didn't end up. She wanted a work-life balance and everything else. I went, okay, that's fine. I'll just take my shares back. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'm like, okay, great. Bye. And after that, I said, do you know what? I'm never doing another partnership again. Mm -hmm. And I've stuck to that for the last six years. Yeah. I I would never do another partnership again. Yeah, um, I think I know myself that I need to be in control and this is a question that I get asked a lot about when you're starting up a business and going it alone or do you team up with someone and how do you divide that up I mean who's doing what who's putting the money in who's putting the work in all that sort of stuff my best advice is if you can go alone go alone and me and you have spoken about this before and I've said to you don't don't give chairs in anything like yeah this blood sweat and tears of your time that's going into um, Glasgow Girls Club as well and I, I said it to another prominent girls group yeah. who was thinking the same thing I'm like no don't just 
out yourself, employ people, yeah. employ them, make amazing places to work, pay well, give great benefits. I can't say the next bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but definitely, yeah. I, I totally understand what you're saying there. But And then obviously for anybody that is in a partnership, I suppose it's about just having the legal documents into it. It's about having the contracts and, and, and see it, like you say, do things right from the beginning. Yeah. And it makes life a lot easier down the it way, does. doesn't it? It does, but I think control is a is a big aspect that you need to know going into something. Can you work with someone else and can you compromise? Because compromise is a big thing. Yeah. Um, I think I'm in a really fortunate position with Cosmedicare that the guys are so loyal to Cosmedicare and I'm so loyal to the guys and we've all got the same ethos and what we want to achieve. We've all got the same approach about ethics before anything else and yeah. patients before profits and we do not compromise on anything um we're not really in it for the money and I know a lot of people will find that hard to believe that's that's not why we go to work it's too stressful and honestly if you were doing this just for money you you, you would last a couple of years and then yeah. that would be it. we really do get joy in what we're doing we love the people that we meet we love the differences that we make yeah. um all of our team the, the whole team I mean we've got a team of 45 now when you count the surgeons, the anaesthetists, the theatre team, the HCAs, um, the administration, finance, there is a lot of us. Yeah. And we all deal with a, a lot of difficult, difficult situations. Um, and we show up because we want to make, we want to deliver an amazing service. We want to deliver a really personalised service, a handheld service all the way through. Yeah. Um, and you can't do that unless you're absolutely passionate about what you do. It's not a nine to five. It's morning, noon and night, blood, sweat and tears. I left the house on Monday. Um, was it Monday night I fell? I think it was Monday night that I fell in the, I fell in the hallway. Oh, and I this you defied all odds to get to this live, let's face it. <laughs> I know, I know. I wasn't quite sure I was going to be able to do this, which is why I'm kind of sitting at a funny angle. Um, no, I, there was a leak in my, my roof. Um, it must have been Monday night into Tuesday, and I got up to see what it was because I could feel the dripping. Slipped, done the splits, which I've never done the splits before in my life. And I was saying to you earlier on, I really should take up yoga. That's what I was cursing myself for. Um, the GGC. I, I, I was lying on the floor thinking about your lovely lippy. That's not good. <laughs> I had to crawl crawl back at my bedroom and pull myself up the bed. Um oh was not good. Um but I tore the kind of tendons in my legs and pulled the muscles in my back. But so but I had to go to work on Tuesday because we had patients in. So Tuesday morning we had a half six start. So we had ops all day Tuesday, then consults all Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. uh, back in nine. I thought I'll stay through in Edinburgh one night. I'll stay in a hotel through here. Wednesday morning, back up at half six, and again, oh, I, it must have been the Sunday night because it was two nights of consult clinics that we'd done with the floor back, and then Wednesday again, I had to go to Marks and Spencer's first thing in the morning to buy a pack of underwear and clean clothes, <laughs> and people say work-life balance, you're like, there isn't one, there isn't no work-life balance. No, but do you, would you say, Joe, that you're like a workaholic, or would you say that you're just really I mean I don't know if it's one of the same thing but you're just obviously really passionate about, about helping your patients and clients no I'm a workaholic a workaholic yeah I think, I think when I look back and I, I've spoke to psychologists and stuff about this because I work with psychologists and we talk about different things um I think the whole situation that I was in with the relationship and then the the child and the Asperger's and and overcoming all the 
the obstacles work was always my go-to so it was always like this is the one thing that I'm good at and I'm going to make this work and I'm going to prove this to everybody that I can do this Mm -hmm. one of your questions was about imposter syndrome and I didn't know what that was I had to go and look it up and I I was actually the opposite so I was I was more like these people think I can't do this I'm going to prove to them that I can't Mm -hmm. I can so I was constantly trying to prove something to somebody so like the, with the Edinburgh Clinic, because um, Medicare got so big that they said to me, you can't be general manager of this place and have because Medicare at the same time. Sell us because Medicare. I mean, no chance. <laughs> no way. No way. Get a new manager. <laughs> I'm like, I'll help you find a new manager. And they found this lovely man <laughs> who was my nemesis for three years. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, so he's seen what his Medicare was doing, obviously, and I think he thought this is just a daft lassie with a phone, and like she just talks to these patients, and we can do this. And he decided that he was going to revoke my service level agreement when it ended, so I would have no theatre to operate in. You can't really run a cosmetic surgery company when you've not got a theatre to operate in. That would be an issue, definitely. So he went. Well, I remember him sitting in his office with his feet up. And his legs sprawled, typical mm-hmm. male chauvinistic. Mm-hmm. And he went, So, what are you going to do now? Oh. I'm going to build a theatre. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Fuck you. Yes. So this, is, this is then the, the journey into St. Helens. No, this was the journey into Edinburgh Park. So, this oh was my God. two years in. <laughs> two years in. And I remember phoning George and going, See him, see him. He's taking away my service level agreement. What am I going to do? I've just said I'm going to build a theatre. <laughs> George is like, of course you did. <laughs> and George is like, well, you better do it then. <laughs> um, and a place that I had been looking at came up um, again. I'd missed it the first time. And I was gutted that I'd missed it the first time, the, the premises. And if, as if by magic, it came up again. And I took it and within three months, we turned around a theatre in three months and I took Gabriella I'd, I'd literally the day that I told Alistair that he could shove his theatre mm-hmm. I just spoke one of the lead patient care coordinators from Transform and leaving her job that she'd been in for donkey's years and was secure and she was on crazy money at Transform I'm like leave Transform come to Medicare and she'd literally just signed the contract <laughs> then this is this is testament to the fact that like the, these things can be done like you are a risk taker you you know you started your business on five grand in a website and yeah. then you said you were going to, you told somebody else you're going to build a theatre so you did it like you like you just had a go-getter well it was but like I say it's that it's that um I think it's an Asperger's thing in all honesty and I think I can accept now I've got Asperger traits all the way through my life they're red flags all over the place um but it doesn't necessarily need to be a negative thing and you can definitely take positives from that um my whole driving motivation for Edinburgh Park, which is our main facility, was to show twos up to Alistair. I mean, that's crazy. Who does that? <laughs> well, I know, but I think women have been having that kind of wee competition with guys for a long time, so we're all behind you like that. Yes. It's a male-dominated industry. As much as it is female-focused, there's not, there's hardly any female plastic surgeons. The ones that are there, there's one or two that are amazing, mm-hmm. but they they stick on their own and I under I completely understand why they stick on their own because they've had so much shit that they go, I'm just doing this my way and I'm 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 doing this 
the other ones that wanted to come into cosmetic care didn't meet our standards. Okay. People, people will say to me, why do you not have any female plastic surgeons? I can't have the one that I want and the other ones only good enough. Mm-hmm. So that's why. Yeah. So, so that, that's why there's there's not any. But then in that scenario, it's not about gender at all. It's just no. about skill and tip. So it's right for the job. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, um, we'll, we'll start talking about gender in, in a wee minute, actually. Um, but no, it's definitely about who's right for the job. And um, I have to say, my surgeon's wife's, are so supportive of me and cosmetic care and they they love the fact that it's female owned and like how we do things and how I try and be considerate of their work-life balances because all of my surgeons and anesthetists have got families yeah and they hold full-time jobs in the NHS so they have like they have commitments and they give up a lot of their time to make cosmetic care what it is and I'll be forever grateful for that I mean my my core guys who have been with me from the start I could not have done this without them. Gabriella is, I call her my angel Gabriel. Like she literally, Gabriella was pregnant with twins working right up until two days before she went out and had those babies. She is a total warrior, isn't she? A total trooper. And like she's even on the phone in maternity leave. Our babies were in the hospital for four weeks after she had them. She's on the phone. I'm not right. I'm seeing these emails. Like just go off and enjoy yourself but that's how obviously committed she is to you and again testament to the team that you've built yeah and you know the dedication from all of them yeah and I've I've got some new patient care coordinators some have come from elsewhere previous clinics and they comment on how different things are at cosmetic care than they have been elsewhere Gabriella came from transform and she's like man this is night and day yeah never had this amount of involvement before um Karen came from another clinic and she's like my god Jill these patients get so much attention and communication and care like it was never like this down there yeah I think every single one of my patient care coordinators have been in tears for at least the first six weeks of their job I call it the the gauntlet run (laughs) (laughs) you can get through the first six weeks you'll be fine um and we have just hired um new HCAs to come in which healthcare assistants and I've hired a new PA um and the PA that I've hired is actually a previous patient. And I had a rule, don't ever hire previous patients. Right. Don't hire pals, don't hire previous patients. Um, but this particular girl, um, she'd come to us for surgery. She was having gender reassignment surgery, which is um, one of the, the surgeries that we do. Yeah. Um, I got involved in gender reassignment surgery way back in Sandyford. So um, okay. there's a gender team in Sandyford, and that deals with the whole of the west of Scotland for gender reassignment surgery. So whether that is gender um, diagnosis or um, hormone therapy, counselling, gender reassignment surgery, top and bottom surgery, that was all encompassed within um, the gender department at Sandyford. And um, that and the Rape Crisis Centre were the two parts of Sandyford that really pulled at me because I was seeing the trauma that people were going through. And I'd never heard of gender stuff before I walked into Sandyford um, I was quite closeted pardon the pun on that one I'd never I'd never met a trans person um, I didn't know I knew a couple of gay people but that was it um, and it never really crossed my mind the difficulties that people go through in in that situation particularly young people mm-hmm. and I'll be honest I'd went into Sandyford with certain ideas certain opinions and I'm quite open-minded to me do what you like as long as you're not hurting anybody it's that's just how I am but I did think oh right and you would see the young people coming in particularly young trans kids yeah 
and their parents struggling with that process. Um, so I set up this group in Sandyford called Transparent, and it was with the counselling service and young people and their parents, and it was to help them be supported communicating with each other throughout the transitional process. So it was almost like a talk therapy yep. for trans people and their parents and their friends. Um, and it went really well. Um, and a lot of people commented on how good it was. And, and I loved it. I felt I'd, I'd actually achieved something, I'd done something. But there was a lot of restrictions and limitations on what I could do in Sandyford because it was an NHS facility. Yep. Funding is not infinite. There has to be limitations. You can't do everything. There's a lot of red tape. Um, so when I started Cosmedicare, I'd said right from the beginning, I wanted to help women victims of domestic abuse, um, men who had been assaulted as well. There's a lot of violent assaults in Scotland where men are left with quite life-changing scars and injuries, which have an impact on their lives, not, not just psychologically, but economically as well, because of the stigma that's associated with facial scars. Okay. Um, so we focused on that. And then my next thing was the transgender surgeries reassignment. So by this point, my kid was 13, 14. Um, my gran had just died, oh, um, which was terrible. Um, I don't really, I, I mean, I went to work the day after my gran died. It was, it was that when, when we talk about how work has always been like a crutch to me, yeah. it has always been that constant in my life that no matter what is happening, I've got responsibility, I need to go to work. Same thing happened when my grandpa died. The day after my grandpa died, my gran handed me the keys to Bodery's and said, get to work. Like, <laughs> this place is opening. So yeah. I knew that's what she wanted. And like, we'd spoke about it before. She died quite suddenly, but we had had a conversation about what was going to happen with my child, who was 14 turning 15, because we'd had issues with depression and anxiety and um, a few attempted suicides. Um, oh. He was running away, um, hiding. There would be police out looking in the middle of the night for hours on end, trying to find him. Um, it was it was awful, and we couldn't figure out what was wrong. Mm -hmm. And we thought it was the Asperger's, because at this point, it was another school. Um, yeah. And it was the teenage years, and things were different. And when you're in the special bit of one of those types of schools, in a normal school, there's a lot of fighting going backwards and forwards. and. I mean, my kid's smart. Academically, my kid's really smart. Mm -hmm. um, but socially, they're a bit of a social justice warrior. <laughs> um, it's like everything has to be fair. Yes. Um, and don't bully people and all that sort of stuff. So the similar ways that I was when I was younger, mm -hmm. that's how he was as well um, at that time. Um, and then my grand died and he almost went just silent for, didn't speak, wouldn't come out of the room, nothing. Then they're running away. Um, it came to a head where something really quite serious happened and we ended up in the hospital. Um, and a couple of days after that, my auntie phoned me. She's like, Jill, you need to come down. You just need to come down to the house. Um, and I went down to the house and she said, um, he's written a letter uh, and he's hidden it, but I think he wanted me to find it. Mm -hmm. um, and he said he's trans. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. No, uh, uh, and I'll, I'll admit at that time, I'm like, no, this is a new trend. This is this pal he's got in school yeah. and because they're trans, he's saying he's trans and this is just a thing and no, no, no. All of the things that I had said in Sandyford about supporting your child and yeah. being open-minded and this, that and the next thing, 
I completely reverted back on that. And I'm like, he has no idea what he's talking about. He's 15. Don't be so bloody stupid. Yeah. You know, I went on a tangent of, look, we'll get a counsellor. Maybe you're gay. Like, you're gay. Mm-hmm. It's all right to be gay. Yeah. And we went through this whole thing. And he was like, no, mum, I'm trans. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, oh, my God. Right. How, how do we deal with this? And um, he said, oh, I said, well, you need to go, you need to go to a counsellor. So I got a counsellor. And I'll be honest, at that point, when I got the counsellor, I was fully expecting the counsellor to counsel me to be gay. <laughs> but you can't do that. Right? Yeah. You, just, you are how you are. Um, and it was through the counselling and went to the doctor and we finally started taking medication for anxiety and depression. <clears throat> um, and it made things a lot better. And I slowly but surely realised all of the issues that he was experiencing up until that point with the anxiety and the depression and the panic attacks and the running away and everything else, I think it was a pent up fear of the ultimate point of telling somebody yeah. and yeah. everybody was going to react and everything else. And I spoke to my close people round about me and I'm like, Jill, this isn't the end of the world, really. Does it matter? And I'm like, well, no, it doesn't matter to me, but what is everybody else going to think? And it's probably the biggest regret that I've got out of that whole thing about giving a monkeys what anybody else thought. And I spoke to a lady uh, that I had helped transition from male to female yeah. and Sandy Ford and she's like, do you remember what you said to that parent in that transparent meeting? Would you rather have a trans kid or a dead kid? Yeah, so um, true. That's so true. That is so true. And she went, well, now you're being faced with the same question. Yeah. What are you going to pick? So I went back and had a whole conversation um, with my child and it was a very raw conversation we, we did it in the car and I can I can honestly recommend see if you're ever going to have a really difficult conversation with your kid do it in a car and lock the door <laughs> and drive drive it to a field because you're probably going to start shouting at each other <laughs> so so that's what we did and um at the end of the conversation uh, he turned around and they said if I'd have been a girl what were you going to call me and I said oh, I was going to call you Chloe and I went, right, well, that's what my name will be. So uh, that was it. And that was three and a half years ago. Right. So where is Chloe? Where is Chloe at today then? So Chloe is very happy. Chloe turned 18 in October. Um, we referred to Sandyford, my favourite place. <laughs> yeah. Back to my team at Sandyford. Full circle again, eh? Full uh, circle. Had to wait so, so long in the Sandyford referral, same as everybody else. Um, we probably waited a good two years for the Sandyford referral. So we did psychology all the way through that, weekly psychology, and yeah. it was the best investment that I've ever done um, for her because it really stopped her trying to commit suicide if I'm perfectly honest because when you're in that situation they want to move at 100 miles an hour and as a parent you're going hold on wait a minute you need to make sure you're not rushing into things I don't want you doing the wrong types of treatment I don't want you doing things that are irreversible that might hinder you in the long run and you're speaking from a medical perspective as well exactly so I would try to balance parent and knowledge of consequences um and obviously getting input from the medics around about me who know about this kind of stuff yeah. um and she was saying I can get these hormones on the internet and that was just putting the absolute fear of God into me I'm like no yeah. you can't um and she was saying I mean you can get somebody to prescribe these for me you can take me a private psychologist and get me to prescribe this get them to prescribe this for me and yeah I could but at the same time I also knew 
from a very selfish point of view, both for myself and the business, but also for her as an individual. If I'd gone down that route and just jumped purely private and skipped the queues and done all of that, I would have been absolutely torn apart for not adhering to medical ethics and walking yeah. through the proper pathways and everything else. So I couldn't be in a situation where I was telling people out with my family, people coming to us for gender reassignment surgery, oh no, you need to go for a psychological assessment, you need to be on your hormones for six months, you need to do this, you need to do that, and then let my kid just do everything else and wave a magic wand and everything's hunky-dory because it doesn't work like that. These processes are there for a reason and they're there for the benefit of the person. So anybody that's got kids, you know what it's like when you tell them no. So we dealt with that for two, for two years. God, yeah, I know. And I was saying no to an iPhone. <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty big no. Yeah. Um, so we finally got to where we needed to be a couple of months ago. It was delayed again because of covid um, and the hormones start in May, and that's when I'm quite happy to kind of start with the, the transitions. But what I would say is the what you can do transition-wise, non-medically, is amazing. So okay. Chloe, for all intents and purposes, looks like a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very happy. She's very bubbly. She's in a relationship, which is absolutely fantastic for me. Yeah. She's, like, she's so confident. She's so sassy. It's unbelievable. Our mother, oh, oh, no, this kid, this kid's got it in spades. Like, <laughs> I, I've not got a patch on her. Um, <laughs> but it's great because I can now see the difference in how she is now as Chloe in comparison to how she was before with the depression and everything else. Yeah. And I don't, I honestly don't know why I even worried back then. I don't know why I worried what the, what the future was going to be like for her. Yeah, there's a couple of things that have that have hurt along the way, but I think I've realised when I when I look back to how I was when I was a kid and well a teenager and wanted to do things my way, you can't even take somebody's life to them. You can't say you will do things this way, um, and if that means that they make choices that you don't think are right, then that's their decision to make, and all you can do is support that decision. Amazing, amazing, and and how lucky to. To have a mum like you that can, you know, you've got that back in that medical knowledge. So you know exactly every step of the way, you know, what needs to happen, what the next step is. And, you know, it sounds like you've really managed to not allow her or yourself, you know, as the journey you're both going to run into. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been really lucky and my family have been really supportive as well. Um, It's funny though, we had a few Christmases like over the years where all the women in my family know. There's a couple of the guys who didn't know until recently. And I remember the Christmas before lockdown, sitting around the Christmas table. And I, I hadn't seen a lot of people for a long time because I was always yeah. working. And I'm sitting at the table with the guys, like my uncles, and Chloe's sitting kind of the opposite side of the table for me. And I'm looking going, is nobody going to say anything? Like, are we just going to sit here and ignore this? <laughs> nobody said a word. Carry on. <laughs> That's yeah. family for you though, isn't it? Yeah. Unbelievable acceptance. That's amazing. I feel like you and I could have a, a separate chat on this as well, Jill, because as a parent of a transgender child, there's there's there'll be a lot of things that you've gone through and the fact that you know you had known your kids, like you were seeing kids at the beginning for, mm-hmm. for what 18 years as Connor mm-hmm. and as he and now as Chloe and as she. So you've got your own journey with mm-hmm. it as well as Chloe yeah. having hers as well. So I think it would be great. Like I spoke to I spoke to Chloe right before I came on this, and like we agreed 
there's been a few times that people have been going out us about this in right. newspapers and different things being said within the medical community um, about how I went into transgender surgeries for marketing purposes and this, that, and the next thing. That's just that's just not the case at all. And every trans person that's come through our door for any sort of treatment can attest to that. Like it's not like that. It's not like that at all. Actually, when I started telling you about hiring my PA, mm-hmm. my PA is a trans girl, and um, she she was working on a she was working on a healthcare industry. And she'd came in for surgery and everything else. And she'd had her surgery and everything was, was great. Um, and I'd kept in touch with her. And she came in for something else. And she's like, I can't cope with this work. And I went, well, why? What's what's going on? And she's like, they're so derogatory to me. Like, the things that they're saying, and I'm having to put up with it. And I went, do you know what? Just go and hand in your notice. <laughs> Just come work here. <laughs> <laughs> Just come to my PA. I'll find something for you to do. So, and she's she's brilliant. She's absolutely fantastic amazing and just giving her an opportunity to work with you and help likely as your PA help other trans people as well definitely definitely. that's that's one of the roles that I've got in mind for her going forward and she's absolutely ecstatic about it which is brilliant so oh amazing right okay so you're being so truthful and honest about everything and I just I just love it and your your story you know as I said at the beginning it's an inspirational one it really is so talk to us then about St Ellen's because that's kind of where where we've got to and it's just massive. So I decided, I I always knew I wanted something bigger than Edinburgh Park. Um, And I was kind of looking about, I looked at a building in Livingston and I desperately wanted it. It's kind of similar story to Edinburgh Park. Desperately wanted this building, had my heart set on it. By the time I got the money together to get it, somebody else had took it. And I remember remember sitting in the car park outside that building and crying Mm -hmm. and being like, oh my God, this has happened again. I've missed this building. What am I going to do? Like the lease is up in Edinburgh Park in two years. I need to find somewhere else, blah, blah, blah. And um, my mentor and George, again, the two angels, were like, look, everything happens for a reason. Something better is going to come up. No, nothing better than this building. This building was perfect. There's a hotel across the road and there's a car park. And I'm like, oh, sh- shut up. Something else will come up. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> um, I don't. I honestly don't know how they put up with me. But anyway, <laughs> I don't know how any of the people that work with me put up with me. There's always, always something. Every day, there's always something. Um, but then I found this other building. And you know when you find something and you know you can't afford it, but you really, really want it? Similar oh, yeah. to how oh, I got house, I went, oh, I'm taking this house. I can't afford this house. Am I going to pay for this house? I don't know, but I'm having it. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so that's what happened with this new Livingston building. And I went to see it. It's in Garbrook Road. And I remember driving up and seeing the building and all the land that came with it. And I'd always had the name St. Ellen's. Like, I always knew I wanted to call this hospital St. Ellen's after my gran. Which is so lovely. And Such it was tribute. Laura, it was perfect. The gardens, everything. Like there was a big blossom tree in the garden. My grand's ashes are scattered under a blossom tree. And I'm like, this is just, this is perfect. Because I wanted a Zen garden. I wanted a whole holistic approach to healthcare. It was huge. It's a 12,500 square foot um, pavilion. It's absolutely massive. It's five times the size of the building that I've got just now. Go um, back and go home, eh? Uh, you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> So managed to talk this landlord into selling me this building, <laughs> like on an agreement with no money, no money. <laughs> Love it. Give me this building and I'll buy it off you in a couple of years and we'll tie this up. Yeah, all good. Agreed the price, everything else. Signed the lease. 
into the buy thing, everything all wrapped up. Um, done all the business plans, which I hate, hate business plans. And I'm going, I've got the bank, surely they're going to give me money. Like, because Medicare is absolutely flying. They're going to give me loans. It'll be fine. COVID hit, no loans. Oh. Not only no loans, no loans, but you can't operate either. I'm going, oh God. Oh, oh God, oh God, oh God. I've got six months rent free on this building and I need to, I need to flip it like fast. So that's what I did. I worked like an absolute crazy person with Gabriella and the surgeons and hauled my sister. I told my sister to quit her job. I think my mum was going to kill me. She, my mum was like, I'm not listening to Cosmedicare all day, every day. She's coming to live with you. So because of the COVID regulations, Lauren ended up moving in with me. Yeah. So me and my antisocial, I need my space. Need to go back to my house and shut the door and not let anybody in. Ends up me and my sister working together. And we usually tear each other's hair out. We have never had, <laughs> never had one argument in Cosmedicare. No, 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 I had one. I had one. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big one. We never done that again. <laughs> Please, oh. um, but no, she's amazing. She's she's absolutely amazing. <laughs> I know she's hiding because she's oh, she's worked about seven hours this week, so she's hiding behind me so nobody can see her. She's having to be for a hospital. I know. <laughs> I keep throwing her in this really skanky hotel through in Edinburgh. <laughs> I'm like, don't bother coming home, just go and stay there. <laughs> as you do, as you do. <laughs> but you pulled the band, you pulled it all together. No, we've been, we've been really lucky. And do you know, they were right. You do the right thing and the money comes and it's all yeah. fine. Um, we're at the point now, so my handover date for the hospital build is the end of June, beginning of July. Um, all the partition walls are up now, so like actually you can see what the rooms are going to look like. Um, everything's getting potted. I picked the floors, Laura. The drama on picking the colour of the bloody floors. <laughs> really? What colour did you go for? Purple. <laughs> They're nice. purple. But um, anybody that's got Asperger's will know you kind of obsess about things. My thing's numbers, so right. I obsess about numbers, and it's no money. But it's the numbers that are in the bank. Okay. okay. <laughs> whether you're going to meet what you need to get to do what you want to do, and then obviously realizing you're not going to get any sort of funding, and you're in this on your own. Yeah. You're like right, okay. So I have literally obsessed about numbers for the last mm, year and a bit. I can only imagine because it's such a massive undertaking and like we were saying it's like you're doing it during a global pandemic so I bet you all your costs have gone up all your builders fees have gone up absolutely everything that you can put so that budget which you times by two and added more I bet you need now you need to times it by like five (laughs) and then you realize you can't get the vat back because it's medical (laughs) I'm like what (laughs) boom yes St Ellen's and I'm going to come and do uh, a video walk around of it because you're going to be doing all sorts of private health care they yeah. are everything all under the one roof that's right so we obviously we want to specialize in cosmetic surgery that is our main focus it's where our team excel the most at but from my background in hospital management more and more consultants have been coming saying we want to use your theaters we want to do this we want to do that and I don't want to just be another private hospital I don't want to be like Ross Hall they're great they've got their places but that's not what I want I want a place where our our strapline is healthcare with a human touch yeah so St Ellen's private day case hospital healthcare with a human touch and I really want people to feel that when they come in I know from personal experience 
with cosmetic surgery and other medical procedures, it can be so, so daunting going in to have a procedure done. Like you could be scared, it's gonna, it's gonna hurt, you're gonna, people are gonna see stuff, you're gonna have to take your clothes off. It's 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 a really daunting, daunting thing to do, not just for women, but for men as well. Yeah. Like we do a decent amount of gynecology <clears throat> and dermatology. Um, we are going into urology um, and general surgery, which is scopes, which is our endoscopies, um, which is down and up. Yeah. Actions, sorry. And those are things that I really think as healthcare providers, we can improve upon. Like, I really think we can make it a nicer environment. We can make it a nicer experience. Obviously, you can't guarantee that somebody's going to get a, a happy result when it's coming to healthcare. And I think that was something that I was always a wee bit reluctant about because when I went into um, the Edinburgh Clinic and Chrissy counselled me a lot on this, like you, you cannot fix everybody. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I liked about because Medicare touch wood is that nobody was dying. Mm-hmm. People were coming, leaving happy, and everything was great. When you go into private medical, sometimes people are getting results that's life changing, mm-hmm. um, and you can't make things better, but you can make the experience better. You can be more supportive to them and to their families. You can create a nice environment where people can come for their diagnostic tests and and build a, a relationship similar to what we've got with our consultant plastic surgeons. We want to be able to replicate that for your gynecologist, your dermatologist, your um, endoscopy surgeon, so that you feel that you can speak to them like a human yeah. and that they will speak to you like a human and not a patient on a table. Yeah. So that is that is the vision for, for St. Ellen's. Oh, it's so exciting. And as I say, we're going to do a video walk round so the ladies of the club get to see it. And, you know, we're going to top and tail this series of lives that we're doing together to find out. So at the end of the year, we'll catch up and we'll find out where you've got to because I'm sure there'll be some very exciting moments throughout. Oh, there's been a few already. <laughs> oh, I, I can well imagine. I can well imagine. Now, Jill, I had put a call out into the community just to say, you know, has anybody got any questions for Jill? Obviously, the ladies aren't aware of the exact topics that we're covering, so they'll find out every month and they'll get the chance to ask questions direct to you and your leading team. Um, However, we did get quite a lot back, so why don't we just quick fire it? And a lot of them are related to your business acumen because there's some fab facts around you and you really have done, you've done amazing. I mean, nothing short of. So... Let's, some of them you've actually covered, so I won't ask like repeated things, but let's, let's go for it. Right, okay. So we'll go into the business element from at the, at the get-go. How do you remain at the forefront of your industry? So I think um, what I learned was not to look at what other people were doing. Um, and that's, that's something that I still struggle with to this day. Like I look to each side of me and go, I need to be better than those in my industry. So I know who my key competitors are and I look... And I go, I need to be better than them. Actually, the trick is not to look too closely to the people in your compet in your competitive arena, mm-hmm. but look at your client base. So look at your client base and what they want and what you can provide and what you can provide better than everybody else. And that's what to focus on. Make yourself unique, deliver something different, be the best at what you can be by being different. Don't be the same as everybody else, because the same as everybody else doesn't have a unique selling point. So that's what I would say. In a nutshell, in a nutshell, right there. Brilliant answer. Right, okay. 
do you think entrepreneurs either have it or they don't? This is something I write about quite a lot. Um, it's a theory about the born or bred um, okay. philosophy of whether entrepreneurs are born with it in their blood or whether they can be made. I think it's a bit of both. Mm -hmm. I think if you come from an entrepreneurial family, there's probably a more likelihood that you will be entrepreneurial. You see it as less as a risk to be self-employed, but that doesn't necessarily mean that if you don't have a family of entrepreneurs, that you can't go into this, um, yeah. that you would never be self-employed. Now, what I would also point out is self-employment and entrepreneurship are two completely different things. Yes. Um, and I think that's where people get a bit, their back up about it. Being an entrepreneur is blue sky thinking about applying different principles to an industry to create something new mm -hmm. and it comes back to this making yourself unique like the previous question that you asked yeah being different so if you take a research something new or do something different to deliver a service in a different way then that's entrepreneurial everybody has it in them to do that yeah but what you need to have is the self-discipline and the confidence and belief in yourself even when you're doubting yourself to push through that and actually do it okay okay I love that answer as well right okay so I think you probably I think I know the answer to this but where did you get your entrepreneurial spirit from then oh my granny and my grandpa 100 yeah. 100% I was so so fortunate to to have them and in, in that upbringing it was the best thing that could ever happen to me oh amazing amazing and what a tribute right back to them that you're now doing as well which is so lovely so with your success must come a natural confidence in business has this always been there or do you think confidence in business should be continually worked upon now sorry that's my light that's my light I think it's just burnt out hold on I'll let you answer that question Jill and I'll put my light on um I can't remember what the question was you distracted me with the light you're like, wait a minute, like, it's like, when we're talking about confidence in business, um, I think, like I said, like, I think everybody has it in them to do something. Yeah. And I think you just have, you need to have that confidence to pursue it. Um, I'm going to tell you a, a quick story about a girl that I met. I've done this talk at the Chamber of Commerce a couple of years ago. Um, it was International Women's Day, and this girl came up and asked me a question. Uh, she was working for a working at a job. She had quite a good job, um, and she'd started some LM, L, MLM marketing, mm -hmm. and she really thought she could do something great with it, but she was scared to leave her job. I said, right, look, do you really think that you can you can do this? Like, and what's worst case scenario? If you can't do it you need to go back and get a job again. She went, yeah. I said, do you think you'll get another job if you left the one you're in? Yeah. I said, right, okay, well, why don't you, for six months, wean your way out of your job, mm -hmm. focus more and more on your, your business, and then quit your job? Mm -hmm. And that's what she did. And that girl is Rachel Chan, and she's the highest ranking Arboni rep in the UK, the UK, I think. And she's a Glasgow girl as well. That is, like, the best advice that she could have possibly have had at that time. She actually did it. I was amazed and very proud of her for doing it as well so and then that's back to your scenario planning as well like you're saying like what's the worst case what would you how would you overcome it so amazing great yeah. advice right okay so next question from the community was who has inspired you throughout your career everyone needs like a support like even your supporters so who like who has obviously you've mentioned the billionaires boys club you've got george like so Who's been the main influences? I've got a few. So 
Chrissy is one of my biggest influences. Um, remember that man, Alistair Muir, that I told you about? Yes. Alistair with sprawled legs. Him, <laughs> you always okay. need a baddie. You need a baddie. Yeah. Billy, who nearly bankrupted me, big influence. And I actually remember him saying one time, um, when you when you were an entrepreneur of the year, you'll thank me. And I thought, mm, bastard. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> I know. Um, Charon, I'm really, really close to, to Charon. And he talks me through things so much, similar to George. Um, my team inspire me as well. Amazing. Um, and my gran was always just a massive inspiration to me. So they're, kind of, they're my main ones. So lovely. And it's good to be able to like shout about your inspirations, isn't it? Oh, definitely. So we've, de we've definitely covered this next question, which was what were your biggest lessons and your biggest challenges? Because you have, you've had quite a few and you spoke through them, yeah. but they've got to you, they've got you to where you are today. And some of your challenges, Jill, would have broken some people, I think, like, but you've, you've moved on, you've moved by it and you've made them your superpower. So well, everybody. And I'm like the best pals and totally relate to that everybody's got different things in their life that they need to overcome whether it's personal family emotional financial whatever if you really set your mind on something you want to do something the only person stopping you from doing that is yourself absolutely absolutely and when you realize that there's so much power in that isn't there because you've got so many eyes and you think oh that person won't like me if I do that and then you're actually like you know what you're just holding yourself back so and then you need to think like I worried about this for so long about what people think and this, that, and the next thing. But people started saying to me, look, is their opinion going to matter in five years? And yeah, it doesn't, so. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start asking myself that, I like that. We're nearly at the end of our questions anyway, and then we can chat about what's to come. Um, okay, so someone's asked this. My business is not currently where I want it to be, but I'm scared to invest any more into it. At what point do you think it's best to cut your losses? Um, when you, if your business isn't where it wants to be, but it's washing its face, that's a different question. If your business isn't where it wants to be, but it's costing you money and you're losing money and you can't afford to lose that money, you need to relook at things. So you need to look at either if there's a different way that you can do things, if there's a way that you can save on the losses, or if it's something that you need to go, this is something that I have learned. I'm going to park this, stop and go and do something else. Okay. Brilliant. Good advice there. Right, what's your vision? Because obviously, I mean, I, I, the sky is, the universe is the limit, but what's your vision? Um, so if you'd asked me, if you'd asked me this six months ago, I would have said, I'm going to build St. Ellen's and then I'm going to work four days a week and I'm going to have a nice house in Spain and I'm going to jump on a plane on a Friday and come <laughs> back on Monday and live the dream like Jim McCall and just be, I'm, I'm just going to love life. I know that's probably no realistic and my brain doesn't work quite right and the more I've thought of this you're going to think I'm absolutely nuts when we're talking about my gran and my grandpa and how they were both inspirations I've kind of got myself into this situation where I'm, where I'm going well it's kind of unfair to have a hospital named after my gran and not one named after my grandpa so I might need to build another one. <laughs> oh my god that's going to happen, that is happen. Uh, probably Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Jill, I can't honestly thank you enough for being so like honest during this chat. I mean, you've really, it, it gives us a real true in, in, indication of how much of a, a warrior you are. 
That's like when you buzzword at the moment, warrior. But everybody in this group is now going to think I'm absolutely crazy. <laughs> no, not at all. I think that women are going to hear this story and feel inspired and motivated to do things that they've maybe felt that they couldn't. Hmm. Well, so- that's the whole point. And like, I wish, I wish there had been somebody when I was younger that was so honest from a female perspective yeah. because. I used to see so many people coming and talking about being a mum entrepreneur and this, that, and the next thing. And I'd listen to them and be like, but I don't want to be a mum entrepreneur. I don't, I don't want a work-life balance. I want to be, I want to be like the guys. I want to be like Mosdale. I want to be like Charm. I want to be like Jim McCall. I want to be, that's the level I wanted to be at. And it didn't really seem to be that there was women in the arena talking like that. Right, okay. And I'd like to change that because there are women out there. There's Colette Grant, there's um, DeVay, um, who was on Dragon's Den, totally yeah. bought in the haulage industry. Yeah. Um, Deborah Meaden, she's amazing. Yeah. Um, there's the one that I keep getting compared to, but we'll not go there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> boobs, that's it. That's the only thing we've got in common. <laughs> I know, no, but it's so good and it's, it's good to be unashamedly driven because I think as a as a mum and as a woman you sometimes harbour this guilt and it's 100% and yeah and again we put it on ourselves don't we and I think like women need to be honest as well my my lifestyle is unconventional I don't I don't live a normal life like I don't come home and have kids to look after or a husband or all of these things like I don't have a perfect house. Like I said to you before we come on this, everything in my fridge is now out of date and I've got no sugar. And like, there's, I don't know what I'm having for my breakfast tomorrow morning. I'm, I go to Rusticos every single day and eat a big toy before I go to my work. <laughs> and then come home and have it for your dinner. Exactly, I don't. <laughs> Max and Spencer ping ping food is my idea of a varied diet. <laughs> I know, but then, do you know what? You, you you have to cut yourself some slack. Surely when you're building, you're building a hospital, that's a time where you can cut yourself a wee bit of slack and other things. A wee bit. I'm building a bed in this hospital for myself. <laughs> God, you'll never leave. Hopefully I'm under the straight jacket to go with it. <laughs> Will it be a padded room? <laughs> oh, bless you. Well, Jill, we've got a lot of exciting lives coming up. We're going to be covering every element of, you know, the surgical procedures and treatments that are on offer with you. We're going to be covering female health and... It's not coming, we spoke about this and we feel really passionate, passionately that it's not coming from a place of promoting beauty ideals. It's coming from a place of promoting self-esteem and, you know, you do a lot of reconstruction. You know, you were talking about the, the, the gender transformations. It's We're going to be covering every topic. No stone is left unturned and it's going to be really exciting and informational and I'm, I'm buzzing about it, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, our whole philosophy is educate, inform, and empower. We we don't sell. Probably the biggest criticism that I get from patients is that we don't get back to them fast enough um, yeah. because we don't constantly chase. We leave in the person's um, ballpark for them to make a decision and come back to us. We don't we don't chase people. There's no um, I think that's really important. I'm I'm not here to sell anything. Um, that's not what I want to do. Like so, that's that's not what these lives are about. Yeah, it's given it's giving people the information because I am so so all about just having knowledge and knowledge is power, and I constantly keep saying it. But if you don't have the knowledge, and I've had my own journey with cosmetic surgery as well, which we'll talk about on the next live. Um, but yeah, if I had had access to what we are hopefully going to be providing women who are interested on it, 
it would have probably made a real difference to me as well. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Right, Jill. Well, thank you so much. I feel like I've we spoke for ages. Okay. All right. We have spoke for an hour and 45 minutes. Oh my good God, they'll be sick listening to my voice. <laughs> no, honestly, but like what a story and what nuggets of wisdom and we're only going to learn more and we're going to delve deeper and we're going to find out more. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you for everyone who's this, So thank you so much. I hope everybody's enjoyed it. And like, I hope I haven't said anything that's offended anybody or anything like that. I didn't mean it. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think that you would have. You've just been telling your story and it's, you're entitled to own your story. That's what I always think. So, and thank you for being so honest and we will catch up with you. I will do an announcement as to what the next live's going to be. Get the questions in and put the date in the diary as well. Amazing. I look forward to it. And I'll see you soon, Mrs. I'll see you soon, love. Speak thank to you. Later. Know that we're allowed. Bye. <laughs> okay, bye.